Welcome back, listeners, to the KPO Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha Patel. And I am that other host, Ryan Drinkard. And oh no, Jagisha, we're talking about one of my least favorite subjects. (laughs) Rom-coms, which happens to be one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) I kid, I kid. Um, It is definitely not my least favorite subject. And to that end, I am so excited because we have a very special guest today. We have Colleen Oakley. Yes, we do. And she is here to talk about her book, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. And then, because I had said I hated rom-coms earlier, Jagisha decided to punish me, and we're going to do a film review of her favorite rom-com. All that and more, just ahead. Colleen Oakley is the USA Today best-selling author of You Were There Too, Close Enough to Touch, Before I Go, and her latest novel, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. This book is on several must-read lists, like Southern Living's Best Beach Read, a Pop Sugar Best Book, USA Weekly Summer Beach Staple, and so many others. Colleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's just jump right into the book. What can you tell us without giving too many spoilers? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, uh, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island is about a young widow named Piper who lives on the very small island, um, Frick Island. It has about 96 people in her little town. She also lives under the delusion that her husband, who was uh, lost in a boating accident at sea, is still with her in that she wakes up and thinks he's beside her. Uh, She walks him to the docks. She talks to him, interacts with him. And the entire little town uh, goes along with this delusion of hers which is all fine and well until a reporter comes over from the mainland and witnesses an entire town interacting with a man who does not actually exist. And he decides this will be the big break for his podcast. And he starts to unravel some mysteries that perhaps the Islanders would rather him not unravel. All right. Very nice. When I first read the description, I was very much intrigued. I'm like, oh, this has got to be interesting. And I'm trying to picture this town like talking to her husband, like if they go into a bakery, do they, you know, they say hello to her and they say hello, Tom also. and They sure do. <laughs> so what inspired the story? Um, so actually, it's it's two things. The first is kind of a morbid tale, if you'll forgive me, about four or five years ago. And you guys might remember this story. It was a pretty big news story out of Australia about this woman, um, an older woman who had been married for quite some time. And her husband uh, passed away in their home. And in her kind of grief-stricken state, she was in denial about his death and left his body in their bed where he died and continued to live her life outwardly to friends and her community as though everything were fine and that he were still alive. Um, It wasn't until a neighbor noticed an odor, sorry, coming from her home uh, that, that she was found out what she had been doing. And, you know, that's really tragic and awful um, what happened to this poor woman, but it just as a novelist kind of got my wheels turning and I thought it was fascinating, you know, the way people deal with grief and the the various ways people deal with grief. Um, So that was one one of the inspirations for the story. And the second one is a trip that I myself took about 20 years ago to this little island called Smith Island, which is a real place out in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay 
Um, very, very tiny. You have to take a boat ride, 45 minutes to get there. And it's just a remote, unusual place. And as soon as I got the idea for this story, I knew that it would be set in my own version of Smith Island, which I call Frick Island. Oh, neat. Is, was the population about the same of Smith to Frick? You know, when I visited two decades ago, it was probably about 350. And now I think it's down to maybe 200, I think, the last census and maybe even a, a few less now. Um, so not quite as tiny, but but almost. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, comparatively to other places, very tiny. Yes, very tiny. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> oh, so such a fascinating location for for a story. I mean, your locations pretty much end up being the characters unto themselves, too. Yes, yes. This one in particular truly does, for sure. Uh, so what can you tell us about the character of Tom Parrish? So Tom is uh, the deceased husband of the main character, Piper. He's a waterman, like most people in the town. Um, you know, they make their living fishing and crabbing and oystering, as, as you would think, living on an island. Um, and he is lost at sea in a freak thunderstorm um, one day. And, you know, Piper just has a real hard time. They're, they're very young. They're newlyweds. They're very much in love. And as you can imagine, being that young, it would be hard to lose your spouse anyway. But being that young, I think it's extra difficult for Piper. Tell us about <laughs> Anders Cadwell and why he's on Frick Island. Yeah, so Anders is a recent college graduate, new, fresh-faced journalist reporter who kind of would rather be working at the New York Times or the Washington Post or some huge newspaper, but the industry being what it is, uh, he ends up getting a job at a very small newspaper in Maryland. Um, you know, community newspaper working on fluff pieces when he would rather be out covering war and, and politics and changing the world. Um, and one of his assignments is to go over to this island, Frick Island, that he has never heard of, um, and cover their annual fundraiser, which is a, a cakewalk, you know, just another fluff piece that he would rather not be doing. And instead, when he gets to the island, uh, he starts to notice all of these people interacting with a man who doesn't exist, which is a far more intriguing story to him than a cakewalk. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good setup for a story. There's so many directions you could go with that. Yeah, there really were. I mean, that's one of the fun things about novel writing is figuring out what the what the exact plot line should be. But, um, you know, it is it is a fish out of water story, too. No pun intended. Um, with <laughs> Anders, you know, wanting to live in the big city and ending up in the tiniest place, you know, on in the United States, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of two novel writing, uh, would you tell us about your process? Are you a... Um potter or a pantser or does the uh, story come first or yeah so I'm a pantser um I definitely the the very unusual premise comes to me first um and then my characters kind of start to develop in my mind and I really sit with most story ideas and characters for about six months before I start writing I do a lot of research um I just really make sure I know who my characters are um before I sit down to start writing and then I kind of know where I want to end up, and I have no idea how I'm getting from point A to point B, which is where uh, the fun and the agony and the excitement comes in, in the writing. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine in very equal parts of times. 
Yes. Well, maybe, maybe not so equal. I think more agony than anything. <laughs> That's probably definitely fair. That would be how I would be, certainly, if I was writing a book. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think most writers can, you know, relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> Just get there already. That's right. I always like asking this question. Um, if they made a movie based on your book, who would play those, the three main characters? So I typically don't have an answer to that question um, because they're all just so in my imagination. It's very hard for me to connect a celebrity or an actor to, to each character. But for this one, I actually do know who would play Anders. It's kind of a fun story. So when I was writing the book, um, my husband and I were binge watching the Santa Clarita diet. I don't know if you guys have either heard of that show. It's a very campy uh, suburban mom turns into a vampire uh, <laughs> TV series. <laughs> Drew Barrymore. It's really, really fun. And um, the, there's this neighbor kid who, when he came on screen, it was kind of like my whole world stopped. And I knew immediately that he was Anders. His name in real life is Skylar Gisando. He's an incredible actor. He's young. I think he's like 25. Um, and interestingly, this is very, very out of character for me, but I uh, actually slid into his DMs on Instagram <laughs> to tell him how much I really thought that he was this character that I had written. And um, I, he was very, very kind and replied, which I did not expect him to reply and asked for a copy of the book. So I don't know if he's read it yet, but mm -hmm. I'm telling you, fingers crossed if this oh, ever yeah. gets <laughs> I hope that he's Anders. <laughs> That's fantastic. Also, it was so cool that he'd reach out and ask for a book. I mean, I just confirms how wonderful of a person I already thought he was, but um, very, very exciting that he responded. Uh, so um, what do you hope readers take away from The Husband of Frick Island? You know, I think there's a lot to take away from this book. First of all, I hope that they just find a lot of joy in reading it. I think there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of um, hope, and and I just hope that it's a really good time for somebody when they pick up the book. Um, but I think overall, what I really hope people take away from it is the reminder that as humans, we are all have so much more in common than not, um, which I think is something that we can all be reminded of at this uh, juncture in time in our society. Yeah, I can't imagine a better time for that reminder. Yeah, I agree. So uh, what's next? Are you working on another book already? I am. Well, I just finished the first draft of my next book, book five, which will hopefully come out, I think they said February 2023, so about a year and a half. Um, and very quickly, the title is The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise. And Louise is an 84-year-old suspected international jewelry thief. And Tanner is a young college dropout who ends up under circumstances taking care of Louise, even though she'd rather not be taking care of an elderly woman. And they end up on the lam from the police. And Tanner has to try to figure out who Louise really is. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> if I tell people if, if they have half as much fun reading it as I had writing it, then I've done my job. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to adding it to our collection and reading it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
speaking of books, being librarians, we just love, 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 love uh, readers advisory. So uh, ask this of all our authors, what are you reading right now or, and or what should we be reading? Yes, so I'm reading, which I think half of America might be reading this book, The Other Black Girl, which is the Good Morning America book club pick and loving mm -hmm. it, um, particularly it being about the publishing industry. That's been super fun for me as a writer. Um, and then a few others that I think that people should pick up, The Social Graces by Renee Rosen is great, great fun historical fiction. Um, the Kindred Spirit Supper Club by Amy Riker is so fun, romantic comedy, foodie fiction. If you love food with your romance, it's a great, great <laughs> summer book. <laughs> yeah, we and, just uh, interviewed her uh, recently, so she was uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, she was doing a uh, podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> well, great stuff to put down on the old nightstand, if nothing else. Absolutely. <laughs> if there's any room on your nightstand, if your nightstand's like me, there's no more room. <laughs> to get another one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so are there any questions that you wish we had asked that we haven't asked yet oh i don't think so you guys have some good ones oh we'll definitely take that compliment <laughs> <laughs> you've obviously done this before <laughs> once or twice <laughs> oh, i just beat me to it once or twice <laughs> sorry <laughs> Well, uh, before we go out, was there any last thoughts that you wanted? Anything that uh, we should know about the invisible husband of Frick Island? Uh, um, I don't think so. Just that it's, you know, it's a really great beach read and I pe hope people enjoy it over the summer next to the pool or near the beach or somewhere fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if our listeners wanted to learn more about you or, and uh, more about your uh, previous works, do you have any recommendations? Are you... Are you somewhere out there on the internet? I am so a lot of somewheres out there. You can find me on ColleenOakley.com is my website and has links to all of my social media. And I'm writer Colleen Oakley on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. And we'll 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 provide the links in the show notes as well. So make sure everybody make sure you go on by. Our guest today has been Colleen Oakley, and her book, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island, is available right here at your Kirkwood Public Library and wherever wonderful books are sold. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you. That was so much fun. Hey, everyone. It's Ryan jumping in to give us a break from the pulse-pounding KPL podcast excitement, and I'd like to talk a little bit about summer reading. Tales and Tales is this year's theme, and it kicked off on May 15th. It will run to August 8th. Uh, you'll want to visit the website at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org and click on the summer reading link to sign yourself up, your family up, to log your pages, and to complete challenges to win fabulous prizes. In fact, you may not know it, but you've just completed a challenge. You've completed the podcast fan challenge, and your secret code word is bark. So drop bark into the podcast fan challenge section to win yourself an extra raffle ticket. Now, back to the show. So listeners, we're on to a new segment, which I'll call Ryan and Jagisha go to the movies. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Sounds good. We got to talking, and one thing that I, after talking about our romantic comedy episode, it should come as no surprise to anyone that it is not my genre. And so we kind of got to talking, and Jagisha wanted me to watch one of her favorites. And so I 
watched it. And now I'm here to talk about my thoughts and my review of the movie. And what movie am I reviewing today, Tabisha? I had him watch 13 Going on 30, starring Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. Yes, so I watched 13 Going on 30. And so let's just say they're warning, there's probably spoilers ahead. So if you've not seen the, I believe it was 2004, 13 Going on 30. Well, what you need to do right now is pause the podcast Go put the DVD into your DVD player and watch it. Okay, so we're going to wait. Okay, there. Now you've watched 13 going on 30, so we can talk about it. So before I I say what I think, would you like to give your own synopsis of 13 going on 30? Sure. So the movie is probably set in the 80s or starts off set in the 80s. And it's a 13-year-old girl who makes a wish. She wants to be popular and seen. So she makes a wish and her wish is to become older and be an adult. So she gets her wish and suddenly she's 30 years old working as an editor for a popular magazine. And And wackiness ensues. Basically, yeah. So I'm not going to give away too much, but um, she's bringing the 80s back to the early aughts, basically. (laughs) Okay, so without giving away too much, I will say this. I didn't dislike it. I enjoyed it for what it was. And I could say if, if the bar of I watching this to talk about is to say like, hey, this might be something that you can watch with your husbands. I would say it is, I've definitely watched worse. And this one is perfectly acceptable. And there is a lot of legitimate charm and humor in it. <laughs> Again, it's not for me. I, I definitely didn't, I didn't hate it. I can say that and I enjoyed it for what it was. And it was less problematic than like a lot of people have an affinity for like the movie Big. I feel like going back and watching it now, like 30 years later, it, it has some very problematic parts. And I was fully expecting that with this one. And I will say there are a couple moments where I'm like, Ugh, 20 years later, but it, it still wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, I think in, in terms of her jumping in time and, and even though, you know, it's the early 2000s that she's jumped into, it still, I think it still works. And <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the the dance sequence scene. They do a, a thriller dance sequence scene and she's, <laughs> she, the uh, main character is supposed to trying to save this lousy party and she's trying to save her magazine. So having the party go well is supposed to help her save the magazine. And so they do a whole thriller dance sequence. So if you're a child of the 80s, you're going to understand why this is fun and why people like this. <laughs> so I'm, I'm showing Jagisha my list now of criticisms of this movie. <laughs> and because I did take notes, I did take copious notes. And so the dancing at the party is on my list of criticism, not because it's thriller. I do love thriller, but I'm, you know, I'm a person who believes in Spider-Men's and bat, bat guys. And I could not get past the thought that if there was this big, rich magazine that was throwing this all-important party, you know what the, one of the first things they'd hire was? Dancers. They would have filled that, like, the, that should never, oh, who's going to dance at my rich magazine party? They would have, they would have gotten people. It was just, it was a, uh, it was a rote way to get Mark Ruffalo to do the thriller dance. <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, that, that should be more than, enough reason to have any in any movie but i was like ah they would have hired people now let me counter that by saying it's a party he was trying to have his guests have fun if you hire professional dancers to do the dancing then guess what nobody's going to dance because they're going to be afraid to look silly so the fact that Uh, they did the thriller thriller dance and the guests were involved is totally legitimate because then uh, i'm just going to agree to disagree because (laughs) i i 
for starters, I've never uh, gone to a fancy magazine party. So, so I think we need to go to a fancy magazine party and then come back and report on how many people were dancing to the thrill. It's a rom-com. It's <laughs> also, uh, I, I, I won't go through all the criticisms, but Jennifer Gardner spends probably a good 10 to 15 minutes running around New York uh, barefoot and at no point in time does she get like 80 hypodermic needles or glass in her feet okay you're <laughs> not thinking of the right new york the new york at that time would have been would she wasn't living in that area she was in uptown and she that wouldn't have been an issue new york is very clean okay so you can't that, do that. that's how you get worms in your feet <laughs> <laughs> okay let's move on <laughs> okay okay can i can i share one more sure okay Who's letting Jennifer Gardner have a sleepover? There's a sequence where she's hanging out, having a sleepover with a whole bunch of kids. And I'm like, and I guess the neighbor's child, all of her friends. And it seemed like a really strange thing to have. No, I think they probably would have just lied and said, oh, I'm going to her house. And then they said, you know, you just would have said you're going to each other's house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're overthinking this. <laughs> uh, did <laughs> Because I mean, or she could have just said, I'm going to that neighbor's house for a sleepover and mom would have assumed that there's a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you don't know who your neighbors are in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who my neighbors are right now, Yeah, uh, let alone New York. Okay, well, then at the end of the day, I'm going to give it a uh, solid C minus as a movie that I would watch, but like maybe an A minus on one, like a romantic comedy for a date night. But like, oh, yeah, it's a looking... date movie, yeah. Yeah. Although I did watch it by myself and it was quite fun. So. <laughs> I feel like I've hurt your feelings. No, no, not at all. I, I was expecting a much lower grade. So I am quite pleased that you enjoyed it as much as you did, that you didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely did not hate it. So uh, 13 going on 30. Go ahead and check that out from the Kirkwood Public Library. Uh, you might want to talk to Tisha about it more than I do, uh, unless you want to hear all my criticisms. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and um, we actually had a recommendation from a patron. Yeah, we've been trying to make a finer point on reading some of the mail that we get in from patrons. And I think it would be a lot of fun to not only just uh, have our recommendations, but have some of theirs. And so we were uh, written by Julia, uh, who, who on the subject of rom-com. So thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. Uh, and she wanted to share that One Fine Day with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer is a fantastic one and that uh that it's one of her favorites so so when you're done watching 13 going on 30 make sure you check out uh one fine day it is fun for a light-hearted date yeah i would have to concur now i was always also a big meg ryan fan so her movie sleepless in seattle and you've got mail were two of my favorites and of course the all-time juggernaut of rom-coms pretty woman Oh, I, I assumed you were going to say uh, Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll debate that later. Huh? Yes. Uh, well, listeners, please let us know what your favorites are. And you can write to us at podcast at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org. Please let us know. And, uh, you know, we wanted, like I said, we wouldn't do a better job of sharing. So tell us what you think. Have you watched 13 going on 30? Because we want to know. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. And a very big thank you to Colleen Oakley for sharing her book, The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. Join us next week when Jagish and I will be joined by author Sanjeev Sahota and his book, China Room. 
we leave our rom-com episode with a song title from the legendary Nat King Cole. You call it madness, but I call it love. Thank you, listeners. Come on back next week.